I'm Karis, and welcome to Text and Context, a podcast where we delve into works of literature and the historical context behind them. Today, in our very first episode, I'm excited to be looking at the book The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, and exploring the events and the experiences that really were the making of this novel. The Handmaid's Tale is a text ripe for exploration, and that is mainly because it is from the genre of dystopia a genre that is renowned for its portrayal of fictional, inhumane regimes, whether that be Ingsoc from 1984, the capital from the Hunger Games, the community from the Giver, or the notorious regime of Gilead from the Handmaid's Tale itself. What makes dystopia such a good genre for studying historical contexts? Well, often writers of dystopia, although the worlds they create can feel quite alien from our own, they are drawing on what is going on at the time, taking elements from their current society, and imagining what our world would look like were certain trends allowed to continue and flourish. But before we dive into the specific historical events that shaped this text, let's briefly remind ourselves of the premise of The Handmaid's Tale. So The Handmaid's Tale follows the life and thoughts of a woman named Offred, who, under the regime of Gilead which took over the United States at about the end of the 20th century, fictionally speaking, has been forced to become a handmaid. In other words, due to plummeting birth rate level, She's been assigned to bear children for a commander and his wife, as they have had trouble conceiving themselves, and every month she must go through a ritual known as the ceremony, in the hopes that she will conceive. The Republic of Gilead is a totalitarian and theocratic state, meaning that everything in the citizens' lives is completely controlled, and that every law imposed and human right breached is done in the name of religion, in this case Christianity. While the rules are made only by the people in the highest of positions, they are kept in place by a network of spies on the ground known as the Eyes, ordinary citizens who are willing to turn in their neighbours, often for the sake of their own survival. That's just a flavour of the kind of society Offred finds herself in, as this short description cannot do justice to the plethora of rules governing everyday life, rules against women reading and writing, owning property, the abolition of freedom of speech, the list goes on. But in essence, Gilead is not the place you want to be in. But onto the specifics. How can we be sure that Margaret Atwood really was inspired by historical events while writing this book? That history has had a direct impact on this text? Well, Atwood herself has made many statements about this book and how it is deeply rooted in history. In fact, she has said things such as, I made nothing up, and I made a rule for myself, I would not include anything that human beings had not already done in some other place or time, or for which the technology did not already exist. In other words, everything that appears in Gilead, every deplorable aspect of this society, which we long to think is just Atwood's dark, overactive imagination, actually has a historical precedent. It's a chilling realisation, but an important one to make if we want to truly understand the impact and influence that history can have on books. So to begin with one of the most harrowing aspects of life in Gilead, the ceremony, or as it ought to be called, state-enforced rape, It's a policy that we'd hope has no historical precedent, but in reality, women having no control over their own bodies when it comes to childbearing is sadly something not uncommon to totalitarian regimes, and there are many 20th century examples that may have been the inspiration for Atwood. One example is the dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu, who in the mid-1960s wanted to increase the population of Romania, and so passed laws mandating that women were to have four babies, that they had to take pregnancy tests every month and could face questioning if they weren't pregnant. Contraception and abortion were banned, and the fact that not everyone shared his zeal for a booming population, nor had the means to provide for the vast number of children now being born, 
meant that very quickly Romanian orphanages were filling up with thousands of children who could not be cared for. Ceausescu was in power from the mid-1960s to late 1980s, so it was a very current issue for Margaret Atwood, who published The Handmaid's Tale in 1985. But there are older, more historical examples that Atwood would have been inspired by, such as the treatment of women in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. When Hitler came to power in 1933, he already harboured ideas and beliefs about Lebensraum, or living space, desiring Germany to amass more land for German people to live in, but he also wanted to increase the German population to fill all the countries he was going to conquer. By the time Hitler came to power, the birth rate had been declining, owing to the impact of World War I and the political and economical turmoil that followed. But Hitler sought to reverse this using primarily a combination of propaganda and programmes that were to deeply instil in women and girls the belief that it was their duty to bear children. For example, the Bund Deutsche Mädel, or the BDM, which was made mandatory for all Aryan girls beginning at age 10, was a branch of the Hitler Youth Organisation, and similar to organisations such as Scouts and Girl Guides, but with a very distinct agenda in mind. Young girls who partook in the BDM participated in activities that prepared them for being a wife and mother, such as cooking, sewing, and a whole array of other domestic activities. But they also participated in a very rigorous fitness programme that was intended to keep their bodies healthy for childbearing, and it's easy to draw parallels between this and the exercises Alfred is made to do at the Red Centre. Unfortunately, it was not just ideologically that the Nazis were trying to increase the population, but they even ran a very secretive Lebensborn programme, which among other things was where healthy young Aryan women with idle traits, according to the Nazis, were bred with similarly healthy Aryan men, in order to produce only the most superior and pure of the Aryan race. Despite its success, this process was deemed too inefficient, and so during the war the Nazis sought out ethnic Germans living in foreign countries and repatriated them to the Third Reich, resulting in the mass kidnappings of thousands of children, mostly from Eastern and Southeastern Europe, either because they had German ancestry or simply because they looked Aryan. As we can see, Gilead's desire to save the diminishing population through increasing the birth rate only reflects previous regimes' actions and even methods, all at the cost of women's freedoms, another contentious issue that Margaret Atwood was clearly addressing in The Handmaid's Tale. The women's liberation movement that arose in the 1960s and continued throughout the 70s and 80s was a movement in America that attracted millions of women to campaign for real social change in regard to women's rights, centering on controversial topics such as abortion and the Equal Rights Amendment, but also meeting with heavy resistance and opposition. The issue of abortion was brought to prominence at the time, famously resulting in the Supreme Court ruling at the Roe v. Wade case in 1973, declaring that unduly restrictive regulation of abortion was unconstitutional. However, one of the key aspects of this movement that Atwood is examining is the resistance that women met from other women, and how the role which women played was key in determining their own subjugation. A key example of this can be found within the women's liberation movement, and it is the role which Phyllis Schlafly and her organisation, Stop ERA, played in preventing the Equal Rights Amendment from being passed. Many readers believe the character of Serena Joy, the commander's wife, to be based off of Phyllis Schlafly. And if this is true, then through the description of Serena Joy, we can see some of Atwood's judgments on women like her. In the novel, Offred recalls how before Gilead, Serena Joy was extremely vocal about women's role in the home, saying... Her speeches were about the sanctity of the home, about how women should stay home. Serena Joy didn't do this herself, she made speeches instead. 
but she presented this failure of hers as a sacrifice she was making for the good of all. Atwood is clearly being critical of women who claim that women could be and should be contented just staying at home and yet got to leave home in order to complain about it, presenting it as a damaging hypocrisy. Later, Offred thinks, how furious she must be now that she's been taken at her word, suggesting that Atwood believes it extremely unlikely that the women who were complaining for these things actually wanted them. It's interesting to note that Phyllis Schlafly herself was actually quite involved in politics, was very well educated and had a lot of sway over both men and women, and it's believed that she was a key player in galvanising the conservative movement in her time. If you're interested in learning more about her, the programme Mrs America is a really interesting portrayal of the different organisations, and more importantly different personalities that were brought into conflict throughout the women's liberation movement, and supports Atwood's suggestion that women face some of the most detrimental opposition from themselves. While this was going on in America, Atwood herself was actually spending part of her time living in West Berlin while she wrote her novel. At this time, the city of Berlin was divided between East and West, as it had been since the end of the Second World War. And while West Berlin was a free and democratic state, under the influence of Western powers, it was just a tiny pocket surrounded by a sea of communist East Germany a totalitarian state from which many people had attempted to escape from by trying to get over or under the wall. One of the main ways the state was controlled in East Germany was through an organisation known as the Stasi. The Stasi were the secret police who spied on the population, and when they were dismantled it was discovered that they had been keeping files on about 5.6 million civilians for the slightest suspicious activity. Its success relied on the 173,000 informal members who voluntarily gave information about their neighbours and even their own family. The atmosphere of fear and distrust that would have resulted from no one knowing who they could rely on is painstakingly evident in Gilead, in Offred's fear that she is about to be betrayed at any moment and her dismal lack of friends apart from Moira. Before we end, it's worth mentioning how The Handmaid's Tale has continued to shape history since it was first published back in 1985. The book has become world-renowned, and the striking red and white uniform of The Handmaids has become so iconic that they are often worn by protesters when taking a stand on women's rights, and particularly over abortion. As we have seen today, The Handmaid's Tale is so deeply rooted in a not-too-distant history that many readers have seen concerning similarities between the totalitarian regime of Gilead and our own societies, and this has given rise to the popularity of the slogan, Make Atwood Fiction Again, urging us to leave such things behind and demonstrating how blurred the line can be between fact and fiction, especially when it comes to dystopia. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've been intrigued by the diverse historical events that inspired Atwood as she wrote The Handmaid's Tale, and also how dystopia is invaluable for studying a historical period, as authors are criticising contemporary trends. If you'd like to hear more, you're welcome to subscribe to receive updates of future episodes, or follow Text and Context on Instagram to hear about our upcoming texts. <laughs>